You'll turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We'll start in verse 46. February the 1st, 2003. Many of you will remember that day because it was perhaps the greatest tragedy in space exploration history when the space shuttle Columbia entering the Earth's atmosphere 18 times the speed of sound, just seconds from home, from their loved ones' arms and kisses and welcoming back. As they re-entered the Earth's atmosphere, the space shuttle disintegrated over parts of Texas and Louisiana. And people have tried to figure out what was going on, and what they have discerned was in this multi-billion dollar endeavor, just seconds from completing a 16-day journey in outer space, this small panel on the side of the spaceship flew off during what we call Max-Q. Max-Q. So here's what Max-Q is. Max-Q is that moment of maximum dynamic pressure when things are most difficult, when everything in the seams of, a, of an instrument, of a vessel, is just wanting to rip apart at the seams. That's Max-Q. Well, that happens about one minute after takeoff, about seven miles up from the platform. And in that moment, there was one chink in the armor, and that little plate comes off the vessel. And as it's re-entering the Earth's atmosphere, because of that small place was gone, was faulty, the entire ship disintegrated. Listen to me, church. All of us in this place either have gone through multiple moments of max Q or it's coming. I mean, we're just coming out of a season, we hope coming out of a season in the last couple of years where things were incredibly difficult. And you are seeing people's lives and you're seeing leaders and you are seeing churches that are ripping apart at the seams because the foundation that they were built on were not key characteristic foundation stones that Jesus taught us. So what I want to do this morning from Luke chapter 2 is share with you what I call five foundation stones that Jesus was building his life and his ministry on, that he gave us as examples, behaviors, characteristics that set a foundation for him to share with the world that he was the Son of God, the Savior of the world, but they're the same foundation stones that you can place in your life so that when Max Q hits, your life doesn't disintegrate like the space shuttle Columbia. Read with me. In Luke chapter 2, we'll start in verse 46. And as far as the background, many of you will remember this passage where Jesus is with his mother and his dad, and they're coming into town. They're coming to the feast of the Passover, and they're, they're coming to, to be in the temple there to be with the people of God and the Word of God and to be encouraged and strengthened to, and to be obedient. And they wake up one day, a day later, hours later, and they realize, you know, Jesus is gone. He's not with them. Can you imagine what that moment must have been like when they were talking to God? Hey, God, you know that Son of God that you let us borrow? We don't really know where He is. Like, can you help us find Him? Like, what do we do from here? Do you happen to have another one of those laying around somewhere that we could borrow? So they, they have this freak-out moment, as parents can have when we look around. If you've ever been to Disney World and had that moment where you don't know where your kid went, right? So they're, they're frantic, they're trying to figure out, and you see the anxiety even in her voice when she approaches him in this passage. Look at verse 46. It says, Now so 
It was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all they heard, who heard, were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought for you anxiously. And he said to them, this is key. Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they didn't understand what he was saying, the statement at the time, which he was speaking to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. And his mother, she kept all of these things in her heart. And listen to what it says. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. And by the way, there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge, right? Right? Knowledge is knowing that tomatoes are fruit. Wisdom is knowing you don't put it in a fruit salad. Okay? So there's a difference. And so Jesus is not just growing. I mean, he is the word of God, right? So he knows God. He knows that relationship. He knows the things about God, but he's growing in wisdom. We see the human side of who Jesus is, but even more than, in addition to just the, the wisdom, he's growing in stature, which is the physically he's growing, but also in reputation in front of people because he's speaking the things of God and they're at a, a depth level that people aren't used to. So Jesus is raising the bar to what it means to look like a God follower and to be that and to share with other people. So it says he's increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So these foundation stones I want to share with you, as you begin to put these into your life, there's going to be a moment at the end of our time. We call it a, a time of invitation. And what I'm going to invite you to do is to make a decision as we work through these on the backside is what is your next step to, to be faithful and obedient and walking with the Lord. There's a next step for all of us. And as we walk through those, you may see that you need to do this in greater measure or that you need to push the world back in this area of life. Some of you in here may be watching by Facebook. You may realize, you know, all of those foundation stones don't matter anything for you because you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You see, Scripture is very clear that you can't have a relationship with God except through Jesus. That you will not get to heaven except through Jesus. He's the only way. Pastor Craig and I didn't make that up. That's the Word of God, and that's why it is the standard and not our feelings which wish and wash and flow and come and go. So as we work there, here's the first of the foundation stones. We need to learn to feast on the Word. Now, the last time I was here, I want to remind you of something. I shared with you that there's a difference between sniffing the Word of God and feasting on the Word of God. Your pastor comes into here, and he prepares all week long, and I'm going to tell you something, and I would say it in his absence. Matter of fact, I don't really want to say it in front of him. But there's not another pastor that I know of who prepares more diligently and speaks the Word of God to his people faithfully every week in and out than Pastor Craig. Now, you can get used to this. You can come in and you can know that he's going to prepare and it's going to be faithful. He's going to do his best that you hear the word of God and not just him. Here's the struggle is that we get used to that. We love it. And we come to sit under that tutelage and we sniff what he has cooked up all week long and we never feast for ourselves. You see, it's not a biblical model that the only Jesus or the only biblical content you get all week long is when you come sit in these pews on a Sunday morning. The biblical model is that you're walking with the Lord every day. That you're in the Scripture every day. And when you walk into here, this is an overflow of what God's been doing in your life all week long. 
And you see, friends, that's a place where a lost culture sees, and that's believable. But when they walk into a church and they see a people dependent on a person and not people dependent on God, they say, I don't need that because that's counterfeit in my life. So we've got to learn to trust the Lord and go through His Word to get that. And the food of that we see in 2 Peter chapter 2, like newborn infants, desire the pure spiritual milk so that it may grow and buy it for your salvation. And the life principle is this. You will never get filled by smelling food being cooked, but only by eating for yourself. Now, as you progress through these stages of your life, how many of you would, would say this morning, I'm a believer, and, you're, and you are solid in that? Raise your hand. Be proud of it, which is most of us, and I expected that. Many of you watching my home, you would raise your hand as well. If you're not here, if you're here and you're not a believer, or maybe you're having those questions, the first thing that you've got to know is that that is the most important question in life. Because everything else is built on the certainty and the genuineness that I am a believer in Christ. So I want to share with you three stages that once you set that foundation of Jesus, of things that you can build on that that will allow you to handle the max Q that's coming for you. All right? And we talked about the Word of God. And we talked about this first stage is this, that I am dependent that I'm dependent on someone else. And we see this in Paul with Timothy, right? Have you ever read 2 Timothy chapter 2? It's as if he's sitting knee to knee with Timothy. And he says, Timothy, listen, the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, listen, you got to go share those with other people to faithful folks so that they can do it as well. There's a pipeline of multiplication that's happening there. But it starts in the first stage where you're dependent. The problem in the American church is that we tend to stay in the first level, in this first stage, and we get comfortable where we are, and that is not the biblical model. Matter of fact, we all go through stages, stages of life, stages of Christian development. It's like the 80-year-old lady that I read about. She's walking down the road, and this frog jumps out, lands on her foot, looks up, and speaks to her. He said, if you will kiss me, I'll become a fantastic, handsome prince. I'll be yours forever. She thought for a minute, she reached down, put that, grabbed that frog and put it in her purse, and she just kept walking. A few seconds later, you hear this muffled voice, hey, lady, from inside that purse. Said, I told you if you'd kiss me, I'd become a handsome prince. What's your deal? And she said, honey, at my age, I don't need a handsome prince, but a talking frog, now that's awesome. <laughs> well, listen, no matter what stage you're in, I want you to find yourself here, Okay. You may find it in this first stage where you're still dependent. You're dependent on a Sunday school teacher to give you the Word of God to teach you. And praise the Lord for them, but they're not supposed to be in that role all of your life, right? So here's the second stage that we get into. Not just I am dependent, but I am independent. Now, Paul and Timothy, Timothy gets to the point where he's studying the Word of God, and he's giving the Word of God, and he's planting churches, and he's multiplying disciples out. Now he's independent. The Holy Spirit that was working through Paul that was helping him is now working through him to help other people in their life. So if you're depending on other people for your growth, eventually you're going to become unfulfilled. And one of the scary things is just a phenomenon to me that I've seen it, Pastor Greg, all of my days, all of my 30 plus years of ministry, I've seen it, but I've never seen it at the level that I see it in the last two years. And it's church, church hopping. 
You know what I'm talking about when I say church hopping? It's what I feel a little unfulfilled where I am, so I'm going to try this one. Listen, it always seems greener on the other side, doesn't it? That's because there's poo over there, right? That's why it's fertilized. What you got to understand is when God plants you in a church, He put you there to grow, and He put you there and for you to understand your spiritual giftedness and for you to grow in that church and to help your church reach the community that is your mission field and then branch that out so that we make disciples globally. But let me encourage you. If you're not in the Word and if you're not tracking through these stages and you stay where you are, you're going to become fulfilled and you're always going to be looking for the next silver bullet to make you feel good. And this Christian life is not about feeling, it's about obedience. Amen? So the first stage is I'm dependent. The second stage is I'm independent. And here's what you will learn. I will gain an appetite for the Word when I sacrifice my appetite for the world. And if you confuse those two, you will be moving backwards all the days of your life here on this earth. Here's the third stage. I have a dependent. So I'm not, I'm not just getting things from other people. And now I'm, I'm not just independent where I'm learning, growing myself. Now I brought somebody underneath, right? Because all of us need three people in our life. Every one of us. And I don't care how old, how mature you think you are getting in, in your faith. Every one of us needs a Paul. We need somebody who's going to speak into our life. Sometimes to speak truth that you don't want to hear. My wife tends to be that a lot for me. Craig Dale has permission to look me in the eye and say, Hey, what were you thinking when you did this? Because I know that I am sinful enough to cross boundaries, and I need those people. Every month I meet with a guy from Noonan who I've given permission to speak into my life, to mentor me in a process. I'm the discipleship catalyst for the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, but I know enough about me to know that I am a sinful, wretched person, and I can be faithful all my life and lose it in a moment. Every one of us needs a Paul, but also every one of us needs a Timothy that we're pouring our life into them, that we have a dependent, that we're multiplying the gospel seed. You know why the Dead Sea is dead, don't you? It's not because it doesn't have fresh water coming into it. The Jordan River actually feeds the Dead Sea. The reason it's dead is because it becomes a cesspool because there's no outlet. The water comes in, it sits, it stagnates, and it dies, which is a great picture of some people in the local church if you are not reinvesting the gospel seed that was shared with you. So we have these three stages here, and that leads us to our second foundation stone, and it's learn to be a prayer warrior. What did Jesus do? Luke chapter 6, the night before he chose those 12 disciples. Would you agree with me? That's a pretty important moment in Christian history. I mean, that night, he's fixing to choose the 12 disciples, and from there, the gospel's going to explode, Right? What did he do the night before he chose them? Luke 6 says he stayed up all night with God the Father and he prayed. You want to unlock the power and the majesty and the beauty and the miraculous that you've never known? Like some of you, I just feel like in this room, maybe watching by Facebook, that you've had this thought that you wake up and you feel like there's got to be more to this life than what I'm living, than what I'm experiencing. And what we see in the scripture is, if you have not laid firmly the foundation 
of being a person who prays, who talks with God and listens to God and then puts that into practice, that's your missing moment. That's the piece that's putting a lid on your Christian growth. You've got to be able to be a prayer person of prayer. And the prayer changes you as much as it changes others. The problem is that prayer in most churches has been relegated to a moment between the singing and the preaching. That's what people see in the local church. We have lost people come into church. We need an emphasis on prayer. We need people who pray. We need people talking about in your Sunday school lesson, you're giving examples of when I was praying and God answered my prayer. You need to lead your people to pray over things and over people. And prayer is also caught more than it's taught. And here's what I mean. There need to be practical moments in your life that you plan in for yourself to pray. I'm just going to tell you, I love my wife and kids, and I know that I need to pray for them. But I get so busy with 3,500 churches and one and a half million Georgia Baptists that if I don't have a planned time that pops up on my phone every single day, there will be days go by that I don't pray for my bride and my boys and my adopted daughter. There will be. But I have a mechanism in place that pops up on my phone. I stop what I'm doing, and I pray specifically over the things that are on that note section of my phone. Now, one of the things I hear, I want to give you some practical examples of what you can do to help you maybe bolster your prayer life. Because one thing I hear when I do trainings is they say, but Pastor, I don't really know how to pray. I, I didn't grow up like you did with you know, Beaver Cleaver family and mom and dad brought you to church and all that kind of stuff. Like, I don't even know who my parents are, right? Some people will say that, and they didn't have the model maybe that I had growing up in church. So let me give you an example. The Acts prayer, right? Those of you who've been in the church many years, you've heard this. And it's simply adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. Because that can give you something where you don't have to think about what to pray or how to pray. You just follow the outline. And then you let the Holy Spirit guide you as you pray through the outline. Adoration is calling out God who, you, who He is. My Savior, my King, my Redeemer, my strong tower that I run to when I'm in trouble. Confession are the things in my life that I need to get out. I'm acknowledging with God that they're wrong. And Lord, I just need you to cleanse me of this thought, of this habit, of this attitude. And then Thanksgiving. One of the marks of a mature believer is being grateful for who you are, where you've been, and where you're going. And many of us forget that. Supplication is simply praying for other people. And if I were to stop right now, we could spend the rest of our time just calling out name after name after situation of things that are in your heart, in your mind right now that are struggles that you need to pray for. That's supplication. So here's what I want to do. I want to practice with you, okay? So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes in just a moment. And then we're going to practice the Thanksgiving piece of this. You can do this as a great model for your Sunday school or for a service or whatever you're doing. But I'm going to, we're going to pause. You're going to close your eyes. And I'm going to say, one, two, three, go. And what I want you to do is call out a name, just a word or a short phrase of a name or a person or a situation that you are thankful for. Like an example in my life. One, two, three, go. I may say Elizabeth, which is my wife. Okay. So that's what we're going to do. I'm going to say, one, two, three, go. I want you to close your eyes right now. It doesn't make you spiritual. It just keeps you a little more focused. And I want you to call it that name or that short phrase of something that you are 
thankful for. And I'm going to give you 12 to 15 seconds because you may call out two, three, four, five different things in a row that the Holy Spirit begins to bring to your mind. Ready? One, two, three, go. Caleb. Noah and Erica. Friends like the staff. You see, friends, if you will pause your life for a moment and plan in intentional times to pray and to be thankful, it will enrich who you are, but God will use you as a vessel to change the world. The greatest works of God that we have ever seen are ahead of us, not behind us. And you being a person of prayer is one of the things that's going to unlock that. So here's a second a thing of a practical nature. Keep a journal. When you're praying, write things down. It'll allow you to go back and be thankful for that. You can see how God has worked over a period of time. Here's the third thing. Always be praying for at least one person who's lost or a prodigal in your life. Because what happens for us as believers that we have so many struggles and so many stressors and we deal with so much anxiety that we become consumed with who we are and what we are doing and we forget about outside of us. We are an ego. I am the most selfish person that I know. So if you will keep a lost person, a prodigal in your prayer, it'll keep you focused outside of your personal circle. Here's a fourth one. Meditate on the names of God in Scripture. It's a great way for the Holy Spirit of God to bring back the character of God in situations that you deal with. Here's a fifth one. It's praying Scripture. I'll give you a great example of how this works. I was playing on a, a Spirit Express semi-pro basketball team. Played 10 games in 14 nights, and at 30 years old, it was a terrible idea. <laughs> Wonderful, but physically abusive to the body. I was with one of my buddies that had, had played at Ole Miss, and we went to eat with one of his, not girlfriend, but female friends, and she was telling us about her son, and that he was having some struggles, and that her pastor told her this, call those things which are not as though they were. And I was like, now say that again. She said, my pastor told me to call those things which are not as though they were. I said, you're going to have to explain that to me. And I looked it up, and it's the King James version of a, of a different verse, but a beautiful language. And she said, my pastor told me this. He said, sweetheart, if you see a character trait or even a life situation that doesn't line up with Scripture, find the corresponding Scripture and pray that over that person or over that situation. And I was just like, and my son, at the time, six years old, aggressive, incredible athlete, mean as a snake on the basketball court, and I loved him on the basketball court, but that doesn't do well in the school, right? Doesn't do well in the classroom. So we're getting notes. So I took scripture, and not just doing devotions, which we were already doing, I began to read those scriptures over him at night, out loud, so he could hear it. And over a six to eight week period, I literally saw an emotional and physical change in my son, Austin, my oldest son. Prince, some of you are going to hear that, and there are people and situations that come immediately to your mind, and you should be taking a note that says, I will start today to begin praying Scripture over people in my life and situations that aren't lining up with God. Here's the third foundation stone, that we have to learn to walk by faith. We look at Luke chapter 2. 45 and 46, where Jesus is left behind. His parents are there. He doesn't have any way that people are going to be feed. He's going to get food. I mean, where's he going to spend the night? 
So he says, it says that three days later they found him, right? So there is, you can imagine some anxiety for him, but you can imagine what was going on with mom and dad. If y'all have ever been to Disney World and lost your kid, been there, the moment of, oh my goodness, right? That's what Mary and Joseph are dealing with in this moment. So they, they're frantic, they're looking around for him where Jesus is walking by faith because all he knows at the end of the day, if everything else falls apart, my faith in Jesus, my walk with the Lord is with God is most important. And in that walk, you see, you're walking alone with God, but you're walking alongside other people. And when you do that, we're reading scripture and you come to um, a Sunday school class and you hear a great lesson. What it does is we begin to learn. And what if you learn all, every piece of historical data you could ever know about the Bible, Right? It doesn't necessarily make you a great Christian because you know all the historical data. There have to be moments when you apply that. You're living it and you're sharing it with other people. Because I'm walking alone with God, but I have to be able to walk alongside other people. And what it creates is this bobblehead syndrome. And our Christian, you ever had one of those? Right? I've got one on, I used to put on the front dash of my truck. And the only purpose it served was to make me laugh. It, hadn't, it didn't lead me anywhere. It didn't tell me anything. It didn't have wisdom. It did not encourage my life in any way other than to make me laugh. And that's the way many Christians can get in the church if we fill ourselves with so much biblical knowledge, but we're not finding the wisdom side of applying that, of giving that to other people, how that should affect my relationship with others. Now, let me see if I can give you an example of how this fleshes out in the church. What if, and this wouldn't be characteristic of this church, but what if the majority of, of the believers in this room weren't faithful? What if you didn't take what you were learning and apply that? What if you were the knucklehead at the ballpark that's cursing and yelling the umpire and the other team? What if you were the neighbor who's saying and doing things that's constantly causing grief for the rest of the neighborhood? People watch everything we say and everything that we do. So as a believer, you don't have the right to act a fool. I'm just going to tell you that. God is, is just reminding me of that, that there are people always watching. I was teaching a, a retreat with a group up in Oklahoma. Had the young adults all weekend, Friday through Sunday morning, teaching through Philippians, give the gospel, talk about what it means to be a, a believer, not just believe in God, but place my trust in him and ask him to forgive me for my sin, a genuine salvation. Find out basically everybody in the room is a Christian except for Crystal. And when I get to the gospel and I start talking about that, I could, I could physically see her just kind of bristle up and clench her teeth, teeth and her, her eyebrows would squint. And I knew something was going on. I knew there was some kind of anger. There had been some kind of experience. Saturday afternoon, and I pull her aside. I said, Crystal, hey, what's going on? I mean, I've given the gospel. Your friends are praying for you. You and I both know that you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And, you know, 24 hours from here, I'm not going to be here. And it's possible I'll never see you again. What's happening? And she said, you know that group that's sitting right over here? She said, if being a Christian means I'm going to have to be like them, I'm out. I said, what are you talking about? She said, Brother Scott, I'm actually having a lot of fun. Like, this is, this is really cool this weekend. But none of those people even acknowledge me in the hallway at school. And she said, 
You, you talked about this morning that there are things reserved for marriage. Almost every person in that room, they're doing those things with their girlfriend or their boyfriend right now. Like they're, everything they do seems to be living outside of what you say it means to be a Christian and you want me to be a Christian? She said, I don't want to be counterfeit. I don't want to be fake. So if that means I got to be like them, I'm out. And to my knowledge to this day, Crystal has never trusted Jesus as Savior. You see, friends, our actions, our behaviors, when we're laying these foundation stones, it ain't enough. We are picking and pulling and standing and things fall apart and they crash. Well, they crash on the foundation stone, but then you got to get up. You got to repair the relationships. You got to fill that void of where we've messed up and hurt people and keep taking steps to go forward. Here's the fourth foundation stone. You got to learn to share with others. You got to share their burden, but you also got to learn to share Jesus with people. And some would say, but you know, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I don't have to go witness. No, that ain't anywhere in the Bible. What the Bible teaches is that if you are a believer, you are responsible to share your story and more than that, Jesus' story of how he can change people's lives. We got to share Jesus with people. But you know, one of the ways as we do that is that we share the burden with people so that we can share the gospel with people, right? Because there's a lot of hurting people. But here's, the, here's the, the ditch on the side of this, Pastor Craig, is that I can share the burden with people and love them all the way to hell. I can give them food. I can give them a jacket. I can help them with shelter. But if I don't give them the gospel, their life eternally has not changed. So we got to share the burden and we got to share the gospel with people. And for the first time in my adult life, the church and the family of God was that for me. See, this, my, this fall, Craig talked about my son going through an injury, and there are people who've been through much worse than that. Matter of fact, in my life, I've been through much worse. But as a parent, I have not been through much worse than what that was. Breaking an arm, 13 nights at Choa, eight surgeries, and there was about a two to three-week period we wondered if Caleb would lose his arm because of the infection that had gotten into the bone. A small group of believers loved on us. Listen, I make money. I got a job. I didn't have to have people come bring me a meal on a Monday or a Tuesday night. I didn't have to have that. But one of the most encouraging things I've ever seen is for the first time in my adult life, I wasn't the one coordinating the meals for people. I was the recipient of that. And Elizabeth and I just sat back and thought, wow, this is what this feels like. And it gave me a whole new perspective of when you love people and you bless people, not because you have to or not even because they need it, just because you're generous. Oh my goodness, one of the, the common factors, the entire Jerusalem new Testament church was they were people of prayer, but they were generous. They did things. They gave out of the overflow. Well, we got to share the burden. We got to share the gospel. Here's the fifth foundation. Learn to trust God wholeheartedly. And I, I'm just going to tell you, I'm just not there. I mean, I know you may look and the job I got and you think maybe I've gotten some things handled, but man, trusting God wholeheartedly is just hard. Because I'm a dad and I'm a fixer. When I see something wrong in my family, it's broken or not right, I want to I fix it. And I'm going to be honest with you. 
Craig, 98% of the time, I can fix it. I'm pretty good at fixing stuff. But we're all going to hit the max Q that you can't fix. You cannot alter the situation. You can't make it any different other than to trust God wholeheartedly. Be who he's called you to be. Operate off the foundation stones that you have been building your entire life. We'll close with this example. And we see this with Jesus. Luke chapter 2. We see it in his life. The Garden of Gethsemane. You know, y'all remember reading that where he's there? Tells the disciples, don't go to sleep. He knows he's going to the cross. He literally knows the pain that he is giving himself to for you and me. He's going through all that. It's that max Q moment. Everything's been building to this moment. And he sacrifices himself for us. Well, back in the spring, one of those moments came for our family. Caleb, uh, Noah, my 10-year-old, comes running in the house. Caleb's hurt. I jump in the car, run up. I get this mangled arm. I put him in the back seat. We didn't even know where we were going. All I knew was it was bad. And I put him in the back seat, and we just took off. I'm talking to my wife on the phone. Where do I go? You know, I'll go to the closest hospital. Do we go and go to Choa? All these kind of conversations. In the back seat, Caleb is praying out loud. Help me, Jesus. Please help me, Jesus. Please, please, please help me, Jesus. It was the most raw and um, impactful prayer that I've ever heard. He, he reaches with his good hand between my rib cage and my arm. He wants to hold my hand. So I'm driving, and I reach my hand back, and I grab his good hand. And I told him, son, daddy's got you. In that moment, let me ask you a question. What was most important for Caleb? What I could do to change his situation or my presence? You see, it's the presence of the Father that gives you the confidence that everything's going to be okay. But if you're not with the Father, if you don't have a relationship with Him, you should be freaking out. Because there is no base level that everything's going to be okay. That's why if you've never trusted Jesus, and I'm speaking to you, if you're here or, or later on, on YouTube or Facebook or whatever it might be, there has to be a moment. You cannot doubt whether or not, if you don't wake up, if, if you don't wake up tomorrow, you're going to spend eternity with Jesus. You can't doubt. You can't wonder if that's going to happen. It's the most important decision in life. But listen, for those of you who are, which is going to be the majority of the people in this room, You've got to understand that you've got to be with Jesus before you attempt to do for Jesus or expect from Jesus. Are you with me? Perhaps the greatest lesson that I've learned in my life was driving him to the hospital. You've got to be with Jesus before you attempt to do for him or expect from him. So this morning, we're going to close with just what we call a time of invitation. If you happen to be here and you didn't grow up maybe in church, you're not going to know what an invitation is. So let me just be real clear with you. This is simply a time that we do at the end of a service that gives you an opportunity to share out loud publicly what God's been doing internally. 
if you need to make a decision, Pastor Craig's going to be right here. He wants to pray with you about the struggle, about the person that you're praying for, about the, the piece of your life that's not going well. Some of this room, you may not need to stand. It may be the only thing you need to do is bow at your seat or come to this altar or just sit down and have a conversation with God the Father that says, I'm not where I need to be, but here's the one or two things that I'm going to work on so that I can take the next step forward in being faithful as a Christ follower. But no matter what your decision is, I want you to make it today and move forward. Stand with me if you would. I'm going to pray. And as soon as I finish praying, I'm going to say amen. And Brother Will's going to lead us in a song. Pastor Craig's going to be here. And if you need to come for prayer or make your decision known, or if you, if you happen to be here and you're like, Brother Scott, I've never made a decision to trust Jesus, or I'm having doubts about that, come talk to your pastor, and I'll be here as well. We want to pray with you, and we want to help you learn what that next step is. Father, we love you. Thank you for the power of your spirit in this place. And Lord, would you continue to move? And anyone that you're leading to make a decision, God, would they have the courage to make that today and take that next step in walking with you? In Jesus' name I pray.